uh, before we start, pray for me. Be praying for me throughout the service. I felt like this message is for us tonight. Um, some messages jump off the page. Um, some have to be birthed. I felt like this one had to be birthed. I felt like um, the enemy attacked me all week long. I've got probably 20 pages of notes, and all the way up till Saturday morning, I was like, I don't know, I'm gonna say, I, like I could, I could see it going 20 different ways. I could see preaching 20 different messages, and none of them felt like they were right. And I was waiting for God to uh, to kind of drop on me what He wanted to say. And so it wasn't until literally yesterday that I finally got this message out. And it was like when I got done, I felt like I got beat up, like. So be praying, because I feel like God has something good for us tonight. As you know, we're in our discourse series. We're talking about the five sermons of uh, Jesus' in the book of Matthew. And uh, we started with the Sermon on the Mount. We won't go back and review that. If you weren't here for that, go back and listen to the messages. They were good, um, if I may say so myself. <laughs> um, then we did the missional discourse, and uh, we spent some time talking about when Jesus sent out his 12 disciples and kind of... Push them forward. Oh, am I not on my start screen? There we go. <coughs> um, he sent his disciples out with a, with a message and a map and told them where to go and who to go with and what to do and what to expect. Uh, and then we, we dug into what that was going to look like. And ultimately, we ended with our why, our why question. Why do we do this? Why do we? Because the missional discourse didn't sound great. He was like, you're going to go out, you're going to preach this message, you're going to have all this power, but all these bad things are going to happen too. People are going to attack you. Things are going to come against you. So we were left with the why. And he took it all the way down to um, because everything you do, even a cold glass of water to a kid, um, means something when it's for the kingdom. When we move for the kingdom, every single thing we do, every little good thing we do advances the kingdom. And so he gave us our big why questions to give us real purpose. And then last week we opened up the parabolic discourse, which is what we're in now, which is this entire message built of these kind of metaphorical devices called parables. So the entire thing is full of parables. That's what the, the message is built on, all these parables. And, uh, and we talked last week about how they're not really these teaching tools that we thought they were that, that, uh, that help us to understand things better. Jesus says they're actually used to give God kind of a hiding place. That those who, and he, he says, some of those are going to hear these and they're going to get nothing out of them because they don't have eyes to hear or eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. And so they, they kind of allow God um, to hide uh, until you're actually invested. Jesus said that those who have more will be given. That once you're invested in the kingdom, once you're actually in and you're in the kingdom, suddenly these parables start to speak to your, speak to your life in a whole different time. And they're kind of like these little time bombs that right when you need them, right when God needs them in your life, they just kind of explode in truth. And so um, we're actually diving into our very first parable of this series today. And, uh, and it's kind of a good one because we have the benefit of being one of the ones that Jesus took the time to explain. So he, he not only gives them the parable, but he goes back and tells them what the parable means, which is important because this one, we not only get to find out what this parable means, but we get to kind of learn about parables as we do it. These are not just vague, like, um, children's stories where they kind of have a, a vague moral ending like that kids is why you don't why you listen to your parents um, you know they're not like that they're, they're not these stories with just this kind of vague meaning at the end he was like this means this and this refers to that and that these are very specific teaching things and so we also uh, so we not only get to kind of learn about this parable but we get to learn about parables as he's breaking this one down we get to figure out what parables are like and so what we're going to actually do tonight, we're going to kind of work through each element of this parable and then just see if we can flesh those out and see what they mean to us. But we're going to start by looking at what this parable is not 
about. Because I feel like sometimes we take this parable and we, and we look at these four different kinds of soil and we're like, and we, and we look at this like it's a salvation thing. And so we say, you know, this one hears the, the same message you hear and they walk away and they don't get saved. And these ones, you know, hear the message and something changes in their life. Maybe they go down to an altar call, they pray, but ultimately they don't last. And then these ones down here actually get saved. You know, they hear the message, it sinks in and get saved. And, and so we make this about salvation, but I don't think the parable fleshes this out. And I got a few reasons. Um, one, the two middle seeds actually create life. I don't know if you thought about that, but this, it's a tiny seed turning into a green living thing. That's pretty miraculous. Like something happens here that's more than just, um, you know, the not getting saved. This is a, a real thing kind of happening here. And you might say, yes, but then it died, which is, which is true. But if you think about that fourth one that, that came forth to a harvest, as soon as they harvested it, it died too. Like it's not like it became a plant, had a harvest and then lived forever. Like, Ultimately, at the end of that season, that thing died as well. Not to mention, if you know anything about soil, you know that same soil gets replanted over and over and over again. Like, you know, you would plant it again next year and you'd plant it again next year. And every single year, some's going to fall by the wayside and some's going to fall on the rocks and some's going to fall on the weeds. And so I, I think the big thing we sometimes miss, and this is what I mostly want to say in this part, is we are the soil, not the plant. Okay, that's what we have to take away from this. We are the soil, not the plant. And so just because the plant springs up and dies doesn't mean the soil does just because the plant might get you know pulled because it 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 didn't bear fruit and thrown away and burned the soil doesn't so this isn't this isn't a a thing about salvation okay i feel like if we if we go into it thinking that we're going to miss the kind of cool nuanced um lesson that's here so we got to take that off the table okay this is not about that so we're going to talk about what it is about and the first thing is it's about the seed When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is the one who receives the seed by the wayside. So it's about this seed. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because Jesus makes it pretty blunt exactly what this is. This is the message of the kingdom. But what I do want to say is we've been coming back to this kind of over and over in these discourses. In the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about how uh, Jesus was, was kind of projecting this flipped kingdom this whole time. He's kind of explaining what this new kingdom's going to look like. He's kind of pushing this kingdom idea through that. And then in the, in the missional discourse, if you remember the message he sent them out with, he said, go forth saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Like that was the message they were supposed to go forth with. It was whatever this kingdom message is, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then now he's going to tell us, what that kingdom message, the effect that kingdom message might actually have on the world. And that's what we're talking about tonight. So this is the kingdom we pray for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. When we're asking God's kingdom to come crash into and overthrow the kingdoms of this world, that's this seed that we're talking about. It's the, it's the message, it's the same seed that we're supposed to advance on mission. And tonight we're going to look at what that seed can do. So the first thing is, it's about seed. The second thing is, it's about the soil. And we're going to be here for the bulk of the parable, and this is what we're most familiar with, because um, there's four types of soil. There's the sidewalk, there's the, there's the stony part, the weedy part, and the good soil. There's four kinds of soil that he describes here. And we're uh, not going to spend a ton of time on the first and the second one, because they're pretty easy. <coughs> but, um, but he does bring up one thing I want to notice, and that's what um, is lacking in this first soil. He says, if anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is those who receive the seed by the wayside. And this is uh, uh, 
This is actually exactly the opposite of what he says about the good soil, where he says, but he who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So it appears that whatever separates bad soil from good soil is this concept of understanding, whatever this word understanding is. And so I dug into this word for a while and I kind of started with other places that it shows up in the Bible. So I kind of searched the Bible for all the places and and it's in there a lot. But I did find out that whatever understanding is, animals don't have it. There's several verses, one of which is um, Psalms 32, 9 says, don't be like the horse or the mule who don't have understanding. Like something, and, and I've worked with horses and mules and know you can teach them a ton of stuff. They're actually fairly smart animals, but they lack something that the Bible refers to as understanding. So this thing understanding is maybe something that separates us from the animals. Maybe it's something that's, that's uh, unique to humans. And the next thing that kind of interested me was um, understanding is the thing that Solomon prayed for. We, we generally tell the story like he prayed for wisdom, right? And he, he actually didn't. And, and when it says what God gave him, it says God also chose to give him wisdom, but that wasn't what he actually asked for. He asked for an understanding heart. Um, and God was so impressed with this request, they would ask for an understanding heart that he gave him wisdom and riches and uh, peace from his enemies and all these other things that he had. So there's something in this understanding that seems key. The next thing I found is that it's almost always used kind of with, but in contrast to knowledge. So a lot of people would pray for knowledge and understanding that they might get um, uh, like knowledge of the such and such and understanding of the such and such, like that they would, these, these words are, are, are never like interchangeable. They're always asked for um, and spoken of separately. So this is not knowledge. This is more than just knowing something. And so I dug into it. And, uh, and this is one of the rare times I get into the Greek. I try, I try not to spend too much time in the Greek, um, mostly because I'm terrible at pronouncing it. But this is Suniemi. Suniemi, I think, is how that pronunciation goes. And this is actually built as a compound word in the Greek. It's made of two different words. Um, one is the word soon, which means with or together. So soon is with or together. And hiemi, which means to send or to bring. So this word understanding is to send or to bring together. <clears throat> one of my lectionaries um, gave the definition, the ability to make connections is the way that, that they describe in the Greek what this word understanding is. It's the ability to put things together, the ability to connect things. And this is huge because in the kingdom of God, um, our, our ability to advance the kingdom and, to, and to, to see fruit in our lives is, is not dependent on how smart we are. It's not dependent on how talented we are. It's not dependent on our skill set or our ability to speak or how much scripture we can memorize. Our ability to, to, to do well and to be good soil comes down to our ability to make connections, to read the word of God and actually find a way to connect it to our hearts, to draw that connection and say, that is me. I stood here last week and tried to talk about the, the parable of the lost son and cried like a baby because that's what I do. Because, and, I, and I brought out that something in my heart connects to that story. I see myself in that story. I have an understanding of that story. It doesn't mean I, I get all of it. You know, I, I mentally get it well. It's that I connect it to myself. I see myself in that story. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it's kind of an obscure one we don't talk about a lot. Anybody remember the, the conversion of Nathaniel, one of, one of the uh, disciples? One of the other disciples starts following Jesus, and he, uh, this guy's so excited, he runs and gets his buddy Nathaniel, and his buddy Nathaniel comes over, and Jesus is, is uh, 
um, says something, Nathaniel, mighty man, and he's like, you know me? How do you know me? And he's like, I knew you before you were sitting under that apple tree praying. And Nathaniel goes, my Lord and my God. Like, just something in that. Like, he didn't go, ah, it's a good trick. Were you spying on me? What are you doing? Like, it, there was like something in him just, you can tell, it's just a connection. Just immediately, like, something happened in that moment where he connected this knowledge Jesus had, this thing that Jesus said, and who knows what he was praying under that tree that, that made the connection. But you can tell that's really all that happens. And Nathaniel makes this connection. He says, whatever you just said, whatever just transpired, you are my Lord and my God. Like he, he, he gets it. I think this is what the Pharisees were lacking. There was nobody who knew more Scripture than the Pharisees. There was nobody more devoted to being faithful to Scripture, no more devoted to living a godly lifestyle. These were not bad people. These were people who were trying to hold on to the, to the essence and the, the kind of character of Torah and not letting their nation become completely secularized by Hellenism. These are guys who are committed. And then Jesus shows up and they... And they not only won't accept him, but they get behind crucifying him. And you have to ask why. Like, how could you have committed your life to studying this thing and missed it? And it's that connection. It wasn't an understanding. They missed that one element of, of connection. It happened again with Agrippa in the book of Acts. Paul preaches this sermon. And afterwards, he's like, oh, Paul, you almost got me. I almost became a Christian. Like, and it's one of the saddest things in the middle. Like, man, you almost convinced me. You know, couldn't make that final connection. Our kids... I don't know if you've noticed every single week. I, I kind of had a set prayer. I was planning on praying over the kids early in the thing. And Judy was like, hey, can I mix this up a little bit? You know, can I add, can I change a little bit? And I was like, absolutely, whatever you want to pray. I just need you to say these words every week. May our kids find themselves in the story of God. And may they never know a, a day they don't feel part of the people of God. Those are the lines I want. That our kids would make that connection. That they would say, this isn't just a myth. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't history. This is, this is my story. And so my prayer, every single week we pray over our kids that they would make a connection between themselves and the story of God. Because that connection seems to be what separates these two soils. There's something in that bringing together of things, that understanding of things that makes good soil. So <clears throat> the difference between making that connection, not making that connection is when you hear that word of God preached, when the preacher gives it to you and you know enough to elbow the person next to you and make sure they're listening because you've made that connection that they really need this. Like that's, no, that's not actually what it is, but, but that's what most of us do. Most of us, that's as far as we get. We're like, are you listening? Cause he's preaching right to you. Like <laughs> very few of us like to open up our own hearts. Anyway, um, and I think we do this when we pray for people. Have you guys ever had those people that pray for you and the second they put their hand on it, they're like, God, your word says and blah, blah. And they bring this awesome passage from scripture that just somehow has a bearing on your situation. They're, they're able to make those connections and, and, and suddenly this like incredible, like you're like, I want that person praying for me all the time. That was awesome. Like anyway, so Jesus indicates that the thing that makes this first soil completely unfruitful is a failure to make a connection, something called not understanding. It's, uh, it, it makes this first soil not bear fruit. So this explains two of the soils, first and last, the ability to make a connection. Now we've got um, these next two. And these two actually receive the word. This is what's going to be. They receive the word and they spring up and grow. So they actually, and, and if you've ever seen like that slow image camera work or whatever where they show a seed 
it's a miracle. It's a natural miracle. So something big happens here with these two soils that they, they turn seed into plant, which is huge. But Jesus obviously tells this part of the story like it's a tragedy. So something bad still takes place here. But he who receives the seed on stony places, this is he who bear, hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when the tribulations and persecutions arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So this is soil that uh, fails because of tribulation and persecution, Jesus says. The, the discomfort and difficulty that comes from the word. And then of the other soil, he says this. He says, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and become unfruit, make, and they become unfruitful. And this was tricky because every time the Bible refers to the cares of this world other than this passage, it refers to it speaking of things like your spouse and your children and the land that God has given you to tend for and your job and vocation. These are things that we're actually generally looking for. Like Paul, when he talks about getting married, he's like, when you get married, you have these, the cares, this, these cares of the world you now have, which is the, the things that we all generally want. Who doesn't want a good spouse? Who doesn't want healthy kids? Who doesn't want, you know, um, a safe home? And like, these are the things that the cares of the world are part of what we do. This is life. We, we all have cares. I mean, we want a spouse, but who knows? A, a spouse takes work. Esther takes a lot of work. Pray for her, y'all. I'm not kidding. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Um, we know that she's not even here. I was hoping she'd be here. She'd probably throw stuff at me. Um, our kids take work. We, we, we pray for our kids and we want our kids, but they take a lot of work. Our jobs take a lot. Now, here she is. She just missed the joke. Um, our, uh, our jobs take a ton of our time. They take a ton of our energy. If you have a house, you know what it takes to upkeep your house and to and just to keep it from falling down around you. Like the, the cares of the world um, are, uh, are things that are good, but they do take us. They, do, they can consume us. And then Jesus adds into this riches. Like, and, and I generally side with Tevye from Fiddler on the Roof when someone tells him that money was the world's curse. He says, may the Lord smite me and may I never recover. Like that's most of us, you know, most of us... Uh, if someone were to walk in here today and say, I got a raise, like I'm making way more money now, universally we would see that as a blessing and say, praise God. Like nobody, nobody goes, ooh, that's, that's a bummer. You are in for it now. Like because we see these things as blessings. And so we've got these two soils, one that can't handle the discomfort and the, and the, and the pain of the word and the other one that seems like it can't handle the, the blessings and things that come to the word. So these two soils, one that can't handle the negative impact of the word and the other that can't handle the positive impact of the word. So Jesus lays out these things. And we're going to dig into this a little bit because it means we have to try and sift and walk that razor's edge between the two. So let's break this down just a little. Some fell on stony places where it did not have much earth. They immediately sprang up because there was no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. I love this metaphorical, the, when it's still in parable, before he's breaking it down, because his explanation um, uh, for the, for the uh, persecutions 
and the, and the tribulations is the sun, which is kind of interesting because this tells me two major things. Number one, this is the same sun that hits all the other plants. He's using a universal here. This isn't like a special attack, special tribulations or special persecutions that happen to hit this one plant. This is the sun. He said when the sun comes out, they can't handle the sun and wither. So this is fairly universal, normal discomfort that comes from the word, which tells me that Christians that do well, that bear fruit are not better. They're not holier. They're not smarter. They're not stronger. They're just masochistic. They're the ones who can hear that painful word that the preacher preaches that just goes in and kicks them in the tenders and goes, ouch, yes, that's good. Oh, man, that hurts. I really needed that. Like, that's what the successful Christians do. They're like, man, that, that one stings. Like, that one, the sun is hot. Wow, that one is really beating on me. That's good. I need that. Like, that's when we are hitting a place when we're ready to bear fruit. Because everyone else is like, oh, no, that's, you know, and they wither that, that when that hard word comes, when a, when a Christian who loves you and cares about you comes and says, hey, I'm really concerned about you, and you wither, and you don't say, uh, praise God, what do you have? Like, what do you want to speak to me? Let's see, what, let's see what the Holy Spirit does here. When you hide from those things, um, you can't bear fruit. And the second thing I see from this metaphor that Jesus is using about the sun is that this seed needs this to grow. If, this is, if, if he's referring to these persecutions, these tribulations, this discomfort that comes from this, this seed will never grow without it. Seeds don't grow into plants without sun. They need this. If there's no sun, there's no growth. The old, if there's no pain, there's no gain, right? If there's no discomfort, we never grow. And the thing that's interesting to me is, Jesus doesn't blame the birds of the air for this one. Like, in fact, both of these two middle ones that don't bear any fruit, he, he says this first one that doesn't understand, doesn't make connections. The birds of the air, which he says is the, the, the enemy, comes in and snatches the word before it can take root. He doesn't blame the enemy for these two, which is tricky. He doesn't say it was the enemy that kept us from growing. This isn't an attack. This is, this is failure to be able to handle the sun. So Jesus uses a positive force for growth as the thing that withers the fruit in this one. So not all pressure comes from the enemy. Not all pressure. Sometimes that pressure is sunlight. It's the thing we need to grow. It's the thing we need. So it's, it's like saying you're, you're barely hanging on. You pray for patience. God, I need more patience. What's God give you? A toddler usually is what he gives you. And you're like, this is not what I asked for. Like, he's like, this is exactly what you need. This is the sun. That's, and, and yeah, you can wither and get less patience and not bear any fruit. Or you can take this, this, this bright, shining thing in your life and, and, and grow. You can actually grow. And you're like, God, I need more discipline with my finances. And he's like, fine, I'll give you more discipline in your finances. You're going to lose your job. And you're like, whoa, like, that's not exactly what I meant, God, you know. So a lot of times it's these pressures that come. It's these, it's these struggles that come. It's the, it's, the, it's the painful things that actually help us grow. And yes, some, 
Some fruit withers in that, in that, in that light. It does. But it's also what we need if we're going to bear fruit. Jesus doesn't say this like it's a weird thing. He says that when the sun comes out, like he says it like this is part of it. This is what all the seed's going to need. This is what the good seed's going to need to grow. Yesterday morning I was praying for the church and uh, I actually wrote this in my journal because I felt like God was saying to me, but he, he gave me this word. He said, our miracles hide in our struggles. Like, if, if none of us struggled, what would we do with the, with the power the Holy Spirit gives us? Just walk around throwing mountains in the, in the lakes for, just for fun? Like, woo! I've got power to move mountains and just, so we're causing ecological havoc because I've got all this power. No, usually, we don't even know we have power until someone has a need. And then we pray and then we see God move and it's like the, this, this awesome miracle was hiding in this terrible, terrible news. And so a lot of times these things that we think are, are bad. And so God was telling me, because I'll be honest, we've been, I feel like our church is under attack. If I, if, if I was just ready to like bear everybody's dirty laundry all set, if I read the list of people who have texted, that are just going through these absurd attacks right now. These just unusual, like you can tell that Satan is just attacking right and left. And it was like God was telling me, you can either be down and feel like, oh, bummer, our church is attacked and see the negative in that. Or you can say, this is awesome because we are about to see some amazing things happen. There's a miracle hiding in every one of those sad stories. And so a lot of times it's, the, it's that sunlight that, that can burn that also helps us to grow. God will find a need that connects to your anointing. I think about this in, in Lazarus' death. When Jesus is taking his time, they're like, your, your friend Lazarus is sick, and he hangs out and finishes his sermon. You know, he doesn't let anything distract him from, from finishing his sermon. I'm going to say that a few times so that you guys know um, when I go along, I'm going to finish my sermon. Um, he hangs around, and he, and, he, and he takes it, and then they come back and say, hey, no reason to rush. Lazarus is dead. And everybody's sad. And Jesus says, I'm glad this happened. It's, it's a really bizarre scripture. He says, I'm glad this happened so that you can see um, what God's about to do. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. And everybody's standing there to watch it happen. You've got to think that was pretty earth-shaking. You know, granted, him coming in and healing somebody who's sick would have been cool too. But I think you know, a resurrection, especially when it's a resurrection, when they're like, dude, he's been in there long enough. He's going to stink. Like, don't roll the stone away. This is gross. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out. But that, that verse where he's like, I'm glad this happened. Like I have a feeling a lot, of our, a lot of the things that we go through that are tough, a lot of the things we go through we'd rather not go through, Jesus is standing up there going, I'm glad this happened because you're about to see a miracle. You're about to see something amazing. So too often we hide from the sun. We decide we don't want the pain. We don't want the exposure. We don't want the discomfort. And we hide. We, we stay out of the sun so we can't get burned. And then we wind up isolating ourselves. We avoid, we avoid people. We avoid situations because, you know, we don't want to be in there where it stings. And we wind up sitting at home alone, unprotected, unencouraged, completely vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. Esther actually sent me this, um, texted me this. Somebody had kind of reached out to her and 
she got a chance to kind of speak into their life a little bit. And so she texted me this this week. She said, people say to me all the time, I know you're busy. Uh, you're busier than I am. And I didn't want to add to your already full plate. And then she added, no one seems to realize that sometimes what I need is to have something force me to focus on something outside my own life. Yes, I'm busy. Yes, often I'm overwhelmed. But sometimes I need to focus on something other than me right now. I know there have to be boundaries and limits and those rest within me to set. But what if, what if all the people afraid to put too much on my plate are isolating me and robbing themselves of something I might be able to give? Does that work for the whole body? What if we are unintentionally isolating one another and robbing ourselves and others the blessings of caring for and carrying one another's burdens, helping to strengthen one another's weak spots? And I texted back, when are you going to preach? And she texted back, I sent this to you so you could. But I'm working on her. So I feel like this is the way God gave me the question. What do you do when the hiding place becomes more painful than the thing you're hiding from? What do you do when the hiding place becomes more damaging than the thing you're hiding from? What do you do when the pain of bitterness turns out to be worse than the pain of forgiveness? Because forgiveness hurts. It does. It's hard. And it'll cost you something. It'll be painful. But the pain of bitterness is so much worse. What do you do when the pain of hiding is worse than what you're hiding from? Paul and Silas, I talked about this the other day, when they, when they were in prison and they were singing worship songs in the middle of the night and the, and the prison, there was an earthquake of some sort, it rattled, their chains fell off, and they're free. And I always wondered where Silas was in this thing, if he was in full agreement with Paul, because the, the jailer who would have gotten Paul and Silas's punishment if they had escaped was about to fall on his own sword. And Paul goes, don't do it, we're still here, we haven't left. I always wonder if Silas was in agreement with that or if he was back there going, dude, like that one kid in class that's like, teacher, you didn't pick up the homework, you know, and everybody else is like, dude. Like, I wonder if Silas was like that. Like, we could have just walked out the back door. You know, but what, what struck me about this was, so Paul doesn't leave. And because he doesn't leave, he goes home with this jailer and the jailer and his whole family get saved. And then it says that the jailer tended his wounds and fed him. Like, what an amazing connection because Paul decided to stay in the heat. He could have run. He could have escaped the prison. Like, and it seemed like the miracle was done for just that. Like, he, like he could have... But then God spoke it to me this way. If, if you back up just a little bit, Paul was going, we tried going here, we couldn't get in. We tried going there, we couldn't get in. We didn't know where to go. And then we got this vision to bring the gospel over into Europe. And so the way I felt like God gave it to me was Paul was trying to bring things in, not get out. Like Paul was trying to bring the gospel into this place, not get out. And so even when the jail fell apart, Paul was like, I'm staying in it. He could have escaped, but he chose to stay right in the heat and not run and got to save a family and, uh, and make a beautiful connection. So too often, rather than face the pain of discomfort, of vulnerability, we find ourselves trapped and bearing no fruit. I saw this in worship and I, how many of you have ever been in a worship experience when you're everybody around you's got their hands up and they're worshiping and you're like, man, it would feel weird if I just like, 
Like I can feel that kind of worship inside me and I really just want to, I don't know, put my hands in the air or something. I just really want to give myself to this moment. But then it would look funny and I've never really done that before. And people, I don't know if people would look at me. So you don't. Have you ever, has anybody ever done that? Be honest. Everybody ever been in an environment where you just want to worship and you don't because it, you might feel funny? Is it easier to do that next time? Usually it's harder. When, when you know this is the moment I'm supposed to just give myself to worship and you don't, it'll be harder to do it next time. And then it's like, then it's even tougher to worship next time. And, and while you were hiding from this weird discomfort, you suddenly create a cage you can't get out of. I've got a dozen more. <laughs> I thought this week about the, the pain of giving. A lot of us, don't don't give because it would cost us something. And so we never get to experience the fruit of that. Mike and I, Mike's my buddy now. We spend all week together. And our relationship started with us helping Mike out and and giving to Mike. And we didn't have much to give, but we did what we could to help. And I guarantee you, to the dollar, if you added it up, Mike's given me now more than I ever gave Mike. I made a connection because I was willing to step out and I have been blessed far more than Mike has. Like, now we've got this friendship that that gives back to me all the time because I was blessed enough to, to do it even when it stung a little bit, even when there was some pain to it. You never know when you'll accept that word and, and say, this hurts, but I'm going to do it. This stings, but I'm going to stay in the sun. This is painful, but I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to take this as growth, what God can do. So you can't stay out of the sun, or the hiding place will turn out worse than what you're hiding from. And we can't pray that all the bad things will turn into good things either. He says, Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. This seems to be a constant theme with Jesus um, that's kind of tough. He says it, unless you hate your father and mother and follow me, you know, you're not worthy. He says, um, I came to bring division between father and son and mother and daughter. And, you know, and then when his mom and brothers came to him, he's like, who's my mom and brothers? Like, so he, he's constantly challenging these um, these things that we generally see as blessings, we generally see as positive, the kind of the weight of Scripture is that these are good things. These are the cores of, of, our, of our society and our, and our people. This is who we are. These are positives. And he, he always seems to pull out the inherent risk that lies in them, that this, this thing that's in there. And I think we have trouble with this because we are, as humans, terrible at love-hate relationships, if we're honest. I, the very first time I ever saw this was in David um, after his son Absalom who had taken over the kingdom and David had to run and so they had his sons trying to kill him. They're having this battle and, uh, and Absalom dies. He's got long hair and it got caught in a tree and he hung himself and somebody came up and ran him through. It's a terrible way to die. That's why guys have short hair. No, I'm kidding. And long beards. It's obvious. It's in the Bible. But um, no, um, uh and so they come and tell David, your son is dead. Absalom is dead. And David weeps and falls on the ground crying. And Joab, kind of his right-hand man and buddy through most of his life, gets mad at him. 
And he was like, dude, you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. Like you can't get David's emotions. Like this guy was trying to kill you 30 seconds ago and you're weeping over his death. And, and for some reason that, that sunk into me, how many of us are like that? Like we, we have a, these emotional attachments. Every, everybody gets it if they have ever eaten a Dorito. Like this thing that's going to kill you and you're like, that is so good. Oh, man. Like, I just love this. Like, nothing feels better on my tongue. And then, you know, <laughs> it just popped my head. We were at the Frontier Days booth, and the kids left some chips out. And Bill was standing there with me, and, and I saw him, and I was like, ah. Finally, I grabbed him. I was like, I do not need these. And I ate a mouthful, and Bill was like, oh, man, let me see those. Those sound good. And, uh, and I handed him too many wads of because you don't need those. And put them away. <laughs> I was like, that was pretty slick. That was pretty slick. Uh, but yeah, so this thing that we know we should hate, and if we're honest, we know we love it. Like we, we do. We love the things that we should hate. Anybody who's ever gone jogging knows, except for Dale. I don't understand Dale at all. But, but we, this thing that we know is probably good for us, and we hate it with all of our hearts we hate what we should love and we love what we should hate we do this with relationships a ton of us stay in poisonous relationships that we know are killing us because we have this funny love hate thing we can't get rid of i've never known a single person who loves facebook as an equal amount to the amount of time they spend on it like most of us spend most of our time like, oh, God, I hate Facebook. Why am I even on here? I hate all these debates and everything. Ah, this is terrible. And then if we added up our time, we put four hours into Facebook that day. We have this terrible love-hate relationships with things. Proverbs says it this way. It says, stolen waters are sweet to the mouth, but they make the belly bitter. Like he's, he's honest enough to know there's something sweet about things that we know are bad for us. Paul said it in Romans 7, the things I hate to do the things I don't want to do. I do the things I want to do. I can't seem to do. We live in love, hate. We naturally draw towards things that we should avoid. And so we have this, uh, we have this thing in us that makes us overvalue things and undervalue other things. And what makes this more difficult is Jesus pulls in these things that we generally see as just all around positives. So it's like a house, this, this space that God can give us whereby we can show hospitality and create spaces of worship. And instead, we turn it into a place to hide from our neighbors or a place to use to compare and brag and, and, and even covet. A spouse that we pray for and God sends us to, to aid us in our ministry and to help us in life and to, and to change us into the people we're supposed to be. And we turn it around to where we feel like they're the ones that are supposed to make us happy. They're the ones that are supposed to satisfy us. And we, we get it out of proportion and, and feel like they're the ones that are supposed to bring me joy. Or we flip it and we make them our ministry. I may not change anything else in this world, but I'm going to change him. That's for darn sure. Like we... This, this thing that was supposed to be a positive and we twist it to a negative. The money that God gives us so that we can use it to further His kingdom and to advance His kingdom. And instead we, we start to live in this place of scarcity where we're afraid, uh, you know, we're afraid to help 
other people and help our neighbor and, and suddenly we're looking at how much we don't have rather than living in God's abundance. This thing that was a positive and God was like, I would love to just give to you and finance goodness in the world. Find somebody, you know, that you can bless and help and love on and we don't and, and, and we find ourselves suddenly short. Even if we're not short, we feel like we might be short and suddenly our whole world is about this thing that, that God wanted as a blessing. I think, I think sometimes these good things that God gives us are like milk. They, they make us strong. They're super healthy for us unless you leave it on the counter for two weeks. And then it's no good. Then it's bad. Anything God gives us can, as a blessing, anything God gives us as a blessing, absolutely anything He gives us as a blessing can sour and choke out any future seed that God wants to plant in your life. So everything we have to, we have to see in, in the context of kingdom. Which finally, so those are our two bad soils. Which brings us to our good soil. He who receives seed in the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So this is the heart that understands, the heart that makes the connections and puts it together. And there's a couple of things I kind of want to pull out of this part of the parable. Number one, it's, it's that not all fruit is the same. This is not a comparison game. Some 30, some 60, some 90. We don't all bear the same fruit. We talked about this with the talents, that Jesus is just as thrilled about the guy who has five talents and makes five more as the guy who had ten and makes ten. He doesn't go, oh, you only made me five? Man, that guy made me ten. Like, he doesn't even say that, doesn't even bring it up. He's like, well done, because you've been faithful. If you all give you many. Like, that not all fruit is exactly the same. And I find this important because sometimes we can go crazy looking at somebody else's fruit. We can go crazy looking at what God is doing in someone else's life and, and what's happening and how they, they seem to hear this stuff and it just changes their life and they're just growing like crazy and amazing things are happening and I feel just dead and stuck. And, and we're, we're dissatisfied with our 30-fold growth because we're not having their 100-fold growth. We can't compare. But there's something bigger I want to get here. And I think this is the anchor of the whole passage. This is the main thing. It's all about fruit. And this is why I say this is not a parable about salvation. Because how do, how do you get saved 30-fold versus getting saved 60-fold or 100-fold? Like it, it just, doesn't, just doesn't hold up as a salvation parable. This is about fruit. Which begs the question, what's it mean to be fruitful? What's it mean to be fruitful? This is the, this is the big question of this whole thing. And so I, I sat there and I, I, I rattled it around. Like, what is this? Like, what, what is it about fruit? What is it about the, the fruit of the thing? And, and finally it dawned on me that fruit is what feeds the world. Fruit is what, what nourishes and strengthens the world. So this is how a piece of soil can give to the whole world. This is, this is how soil becomes a blessing. What good is soil if it doesn't have fruit? This is what is different about the soil that brings forth a plant. It creates this life 
which is awesome. It takes a seed and turns it into something green and growing, but it never becomes a blessing that others can use. It never becomes a blessing for the world. If your soil, the, the seed is not about you. If your soil, the seed is not for you. It's for the world. When God speaks into your life, when God speaks into your heart, it's not just for you to do well. It's for you to take in and change it somehow while it's in there so it can explode out and bless the world. That's what fruit does. And and as soon as I had, as soon as I made that connection, it like exploded in my mind. I saw Jesus in the garden, like praying that God would make this cup pass from him. Like in his own life, he's like, it's almost like he's, he's powerless. And this is the guy that walks around raising the dead and healing sick people and touching lepers and making them clean and, and spitting on mud so he can put it in the eye of a blind person. They get sight. This is a guy with unlimited power when he's giving it away. Unlimited power when it's in that direction. Then he's in the garden crying out to God for himself. And you're like, if anybody had the power to just say, no, I'm not doing this, it was Jesus. But he doesn't use his power that way. That's the nature of the temptations. Hey, aren't you hungry? Turn that rock into, a, into bread. And he could have. Only that miracle would have been for him. That would have been him doing a miracle for himself. And Jesus never did a miracle for himself. He had this unlimited power that worked when it was outward. And suddenly I connected it to Peter and Paul, both of them, and walked around. Peter's shadow was healing people. Paul was praying for handkerchiefs and they were taking them and healing people. Like there was, these guys had incredible power and then they get arrested and they're thrown in jail and they're just sitting there. You're like, if anybody could have knocked the doors down, it seems like it was these guys. And they don't, they just have to sit there. And when Peter was in jail, it says, and the church made prayers for Peter all night long and an angel shows up and opens the gate. It's the prayers of somebody else that freed Peter. Peter had no power when it was turned inward because that's not how fruit works. I looked at Esther's text and Esther's text, I was like, that's what Esther was saying. Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life. Like, I, like the world eats off of me. I nourish the world. That's what I do. When he restored Peter, Peter fell away when God restored him. How did he do it? What did he say to him? Somebody's got to know. He said, feed my sheep. That's what he said. Go feed. That's, that's your job. Go feed. Like that, that's how his restoration came. said it three times to him. Go feed my sheep. Go out and give. This is, this is why name it and claim it theology doesn't work. It's really close. And the problem I have with name and claim it theology is so much of it is biblical. Like so much of it is faith-based and it, and it talks about what faith can do. And, it, and it's so close, but so often, if you look at it, what they're doing is they're naming and claiming stuff for themselves. God's going to give me this and he's going to give me that. And God, I'm just believing God's going to give me this. That's not how fruit works. That's not how power works. I can, I can tell you I am way more powerful when I pray for you guys than when I pray for me. 
I sound like an idiot when I pray for myself. I, I start and then I'm like, well, God, I mean, unless that's not what you want, if that's not what you want, I'd much rather have what you want. Although, I mean, this is, if I'm honest with myself, this is what I want. It's just I, I think I'd rather have your will. Like, and I, I'm terrible when I try to pray for myself. And then a prayer request comes in and I'm like, yes, and I'm, God, just give them this and give them that. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's how I pray, believe it or not. And, and like, wait, and I, and I can, and it's not just the, the way I do, it's what I feel. I can tell that this is way more effective. This is why the church is so important. This is why I ask you guys to pray, to pray for me. Because I know there's way more power when it's, when it's you guys are praying for me than, than me just standing back here before service praying for myself. That's what fruit does. It, it blesses others. So this whole parable of the, the sower, this whole concept of fruitfulness is about how the word goes into you and translates into goodness for the world. That's what advancing the kingdom is. We're back to this kingdom concept again, this advancing the kingdom concept. That's what, that's the goal, is we, we get the seed, we receive the seed, we receive the word of God, and it goes out and changes things. It goes out and feeds and blesses the world. So how do we respond to this? There's one more um, kind of major, I guess, metaphor, revelation from a metaphor I want to get out of this. Because our tendency from this, uh, this kind of message is to go home and go, that's it, I'm pulling the stones up, I'm pulling the weeds, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be good soil, I'm going to go out and, and change, you know, I'm gonna, so I can be good soil. Which begs the question, when have you ever seen soil pull up a stone? When has the soil ever just spit out its own weeds? It's not the soil's job to get rid of the weeds and the stones. That's the farmer's job. This isn't something we just do. This isn't something we just go pull the rocks out. This is work that Jesus does for us. It's the farmer's job to prepare the soil. I believe um, there's two things we can do. Number one, um, bear what fruit you can, I think. I had a volunteer um, butternut squash plant. Is it a butternut squash plant? Yeah, that sprung up in our compost pile. And it's, it's monstrous. It's huge. We didn't plant it. I'm assuming we threw some butternut squash out there and it volunteered. And you know what my first thought was? man, maybe I should put the garden there next year. Like, was, heck, if I'm getting, if I'm getting fruit from nothing, I'm going to plant there next year. I think in our lives, if, if, if all we can do is bear a tiny bit of fruit, just bless the world just a little bit, maybe we're mostly rocks and weeds, but by God, if you can produce one little bit of fruit, maybe the farmer comes and goes, I'm going to clean this up. I'm going to plant here. I'm going to plant more here. Second thing I think we can do. So, we, we do what we can. We give, we serve, we bless, we, we encourage others, we be a light, we go out and, and love on people. We bear what fruit we can. But the second thing we do, and this is the more important one, is I think we pray. 
I think the prayer, I, I, I think we just need to just pray, God, clean out my heart. David said it, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit in me. Search my heart, O oh God, and see if there's any wickedness in me. I think we just pray, God, come and, come and do the work. I can't do it myself. I can't pull the stones. I can't pull the weeds. I would love to say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let go of all these cares and I'm, I'm not going to be scared anymore. I'm going I'm to let the sun shine on me. I'm going to like, you can't. You can't. We're powerless to do that. That's something, the Holy, that's something the Holy Spirit does in us. So our prayer needs to be, God, here is my heart. Here it is. Please come and do a work. And we just present ourselves. That's the best soil can do, is just present itself to the farmer and say, here's my heart, God. Please do a work. Please do a work. And if we'll go with that, if we'll go with that, I think he does. So as we go to the table... Um, and sing this last song which is called Here's My Heart I pray that we would um, that that be our prayer God here's my heart here's my heart do a work I want to bear fruit I don't just want to you know I don't, I don't just want to take the seed and do nothing with it I want it to explode out and be good for people so the world is a better place because of it my heart for this church has never been for us. Like, I love it here. I love you guys. I love spending time together. But my heart for this church is that we'd be a blessing. That's my heart for this church is that we would, that we would be a blessing to the area around us, that we would be a blessing to, that every one of us would, come here and get built up and go out and be a blessing wherever we go. And we would just be light shining and just throwing around nourishment and goodness to, to the world around us. That's my prayer. I mean, I pray for you guys to have good things, but mostly I pray for you to be a blessing, to, to go and shine in the world.